The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. Today's scripture comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, and then we're going to skip to 26 through 28. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our, our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is God's word. Father God, thank you so much for today, for everyone who's here. We want to pray for uh, clarity, that it would be your message and that you would be glorified this morning um, in this entire service. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to talk about creation today. And there's three points we want to get out of this. Creation is foundational, speaks to the deity of God, and God identifies or it is part of the identity of God. The book of Genesis is foundational to the rest of the Bible. Genesis is the anchor on which the rest of the word is secured. Genesis covers a broad spectrum of history. We move from the creation to the lives of the patriarchs. And specifically today, we're going to look at the centrality of the creation to the rest of the world. You know, the first 11 chapters of, of uh, Genesis are under attack. There are some great stories here. There's the flood, the Tower of Babel, people living hundreds of years, the covenant of the rainbow, the creation of man, the fall of man. And a lot of people don't want to believe that. A lot of people want to say that maybe allegory or a nice story. If we were ex to express the scope of Scripture, we might state the following. God creates man. Man rebels. Sin and death corrupt creation. Man flees. God pursues. God has a plan to save man. God sends his son to pay the price for man's rebellion. Salvation is available to all. And God promises to return. The devil, represented by a world system of really smart people, think pointy-headed nerds, 
want to believe something other than God created everything. This is the great battle for your hearts and minds and souls. The devil does not want you to believe anything I say today because what I'm going to say isn't reasonable. It isn't a credible, in their mind, scientific explanation for everything. Yeah. Like a big cosmic egg that went kablooey one day. That isn't, that's scientific, isn't it? That is part of the great effort to reject Genesis. So again, this is where we're going today. Three points. Creation is foundational. Creation speaks to God's deity, and, God, and creation speaks to God's identity. Foundation. What do I mean by foundation? Everything, everything flows from Genesis 1-1. Without creation, there is no universe, no man, no sin, no need for Christ to come and rescue man, no Christmas, no Easter, there's nothing except God because God exists beyond the scope of space and time and the universe. God is infinite and unlimited. The universe is finite and has a time span. So the first thing we need to do is establish the authority of Scripture. And Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. A, the AV stuff is working. Great job back there. Okay, and he said, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. All scripture. Okay? Not just the stuff that's convenient to believe or easy or doesn't conflict with some popular idea. All means all. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. Including the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Which is basically 11 chapters of miracles. It is inspired in God breathed. And who inspired Scripture? The Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity. So maybe we should pay attention. And it is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. This is a binary choice. Yes, no answer. Either you accept the Bible in its whole, or you don't. It's not a collection of 66 books written by that kind of holds together. This is the inspired word of God. Unless you accept this, the Bible cognitively doesn't make sense. If you choose not to accept this, then what follows today will not seem true. If you think creation is an allegory or some nice story Moses wrote down, then I suggest the entirety of your faith rests on shaky ground. Because when we go back to 2 Timothy, it says all Scripture. Three-letter word, all. And Genesis is the first of those 66 books. 
Remember, this is what the battle is about. The devil is the father of lies. And one of the great lies is that the universe was all a cosmic egg and it just blew up one day. And if Genesis is an allegory, then why bother with Christmas or Easter? Because logically, the fall is an allegory. And God's remedy must be an allegory too. Notice, God starts with the words, in the beginning, this is significant. God didn't start with once upon a time or a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You know, Solo came out this weekend. And Randy's not here to wear his Star Wars shirt, but that, that was there for you, Randy, when you listen to this. Both of these statements imply that their stories start at a point other than the beginning. But God writes at the start of Genesis, in the beginning. This is declarative and definitive. There's no time prior to the beginning. God exists to start history and time. This is because God is internal and therefore does not have a start or an ending. He is the great I am, Yahweh. God exists beyond space and time. I accept this on faith. Because I can't fully understand with my finite perception an infinite and eternal God. So let's look at the language of the first 24 verses of the Bible. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want you to listen for the pattern of the words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that it was good. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let us separate the waters from the waters. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. And God saw it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation and plants yielding seed and fruit trees. And God saw it was good. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And God made two great lights. And God saw it was good. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. God saw it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts on the earth after their kind, and God saw it was good. Do you begin to see a pattern here? And then God did the most fantastic thing when we get to the 26th verse. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds and the sky, and all that creeps on the earth. We were made in the image of God. You and me, all of us. 
God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them. And then he said, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds. Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, and it shall be food for you. And God saw that he had made what he had made, and behold, it was very good. So there are a couple of things we need to capture here. God said, that is so powerful and so complete. All he had to do was speak, and the creation came into being. He had a specific plan. If you go through the days of creation, they follow a logical progression. There has to, there's a specific order. Almost as if there was an intelligence designing the universe. Amazing, isn't it? Now compare that to us. You know, from time to time, I get an early Sunday morning text from the folks here doing setup. They kind of go like this. We have a problem with one of the cabinets. Could you come quick? It's kind of like the bat signal. So I get myself together and I come over and there's some kicking of the dirt and they're kind of looking around. Go, oh, he did it. And <clears throat> there's a cabinet laying on its side. A door may be ripped off, wheels on the floor. It doesn't look good. And I go, hmm. Then I wander away, go over to Home Depot, get some tools and stuff, come back, get it fixed temporarily until I can come up with a better solution. That's how limited I am. But God didn't go to Home Depot or Lowe's to pick up tools. He didn't have to gather materials. He didn't stand back and say, huh, he just spoke. And unlike me, when I wander back to my shop to fix something or build something, I Google for ideas and go-bys and plans. God just speaks. We are witnessing the perfection of God. He didn't need tools or a website or a YouTube video. He just made it happen. And God looks at his creation and he sees that it was good. And it was not just good, it was very good. It wasn't me stepping back and tilting my head and scratching my shin and going, yeah, that's close enough. No, it was God, and God did it perfectly. Now, perfection's another aspect. A couple of months ago, someone put a hole through Noah's front bumper cover. And he asked if I could fix it, and I thought about it and said, yeah, I, I can fix it. Now, it wasn't so straightforward. I had to patch, and I had to sand, and I had to paint, and it took me two weeks. And when I stepped back, it was 95%. It passed the 10-foot rule. The 10-foot rule, by the way, is if you look at it, you can't tell whether it was messed up from 10 feet away. You really have to get down there and look. But that's not what God did. He looked at his creation 
and said it was good and it was complete. He doesn't have a 10-foot rule. He isn't 95% there. He's 100% on every single time. And then we get to man. Created in his image. And it was good. It was very good. Man, that's you and me, us. We are created in the image of God. Man is separate and distinct from all other creatures. He made us male and female. Despite what you might hear in the popular press, there are only two versions. And the creation of man was an intimate process by God where God imparted his essence without losing his deity. Man is special creation and not part of the general creation. And unlike puppies and kitties, we are worthy of rescue after the fall. We're not like Noah's bumper. You are expressly and wonderfully made in the image of the creator, God, king of the universe. Let me repeat that. You are expressly and wonderfully made in the image of the creator, God, king of the universe. Now, 139th Psalm expresses this. It says, For you formed my inward parts, God knows everything about you. You wove me in my mother's womb. And I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. And my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Think about that. You weren't hidden from God when you were made in secret. For your eyes have seen my unformed substance. He was there at the point of your conception. And in your book are written all the days that were ordained for me when there was yet not one of them. He knows all the days of your life before you were even born. So let me repeat. Without the foundation of creation, none of this is relevant. So let's go on to deity. Creation speaks to the deity of God. There's a parallel passage to Genesis 1.1. I want to fast forward now to the New Testament, to John 1. This is the same construction, and while the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek, or this part of John was written in Greek, this is the same phrase, the same words. It isn't a mistake or a coincidence. John 1, it says, in the beginning, does that sound familiar to anybody? Was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who's He? He is Jesus. And all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So a couple of things here. In the beginning, the Word existed prior to the beginning. The Word was with God. The Word is God. And it was in the beginning 
with God. Here we have the Gospels making a direct reference to creation, the creative act. The fact that an eternal God beyond the scope of creation exists. So if we, again, if we start saying Genesis is allegory, what happens when we start talking about the deity of Christ? And who was John talking about? John was talking about Jesus, the deity of Christ. He says all things, that persnickative three little, little words, letter word, all. He says all things. Not some, not the convenient ideas, not the stuff that's easy to believe or that we have a scientific explanation for. We can go back to Genesis 1 and see how it happened. God spoke. God, and then God said, and boom, it was there. Then God said, boom, it was there. Nothing happened without him. Jesus is expressly identified with creation. Creation establishes that Jesus is God incarnate. And there are other proofs of this, from the prophecies to the virgin birth, to the announcement of his birth. And here we have John making a direct connection between biblical creation and Jesus, the Son of God. But we also see this in the book of Proverbs. In this case, we're talking about the pre-incarnate Christ. Proverbs 8, 22. And it says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. The pre-incarnate Christ. Before his works of old, before creation. From everlasting, I was established, eternal, outside of the scope of space and time. From beginning, from the earliest times of the earth, in the beginning, is another way to look at that. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, eternal. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. We're talking about the eternal second person of the Trinity. And while he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed the circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set the sea its boundary, we're going to talk about the boundary of the sea later on, but think about that. The water has a boundary, and somebody said it. So that the water would not transgress his command when he marked out the foundations of the world. We're going to talk about that too. Then I was beside him, a master workman, and I was his daily delight. His obedient son. Delight. I want you to remember that word delight because we're going to get to it in a few seconds. Matthew 3 is coming up. Rejoicing always before him, rejoicing the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. So let's set the scene here. We have Proverbs talking about the second person of the Trinity, and we can see through this is consistent as we see the incarnate Christ in the Gospels. We see that the God the Father delights in his Son. How much does he delight in his Son? So let's look at Matthew 3, 13 through 17. And timing is everything here, guys, in the back. Timing is everything. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him. 
Because John knew who he was. And John knew who John was. Saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? But Jesus answered said, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And this is really neat. But of course, if we don't want to look at any miraculous things in the Bible, you'll miss this part. Behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him, and behold, a voice out of the heavens, an audible voice that people heard, said, This is my beloved Son, or we could say delight, in whom I am well pleased. And what is delight? Ah, good. Okay, I could tell you a bunch of words, but this photo tells delight better than anything I could say. It's more than 30 years old. To me, it is the great delight of my father holding his only grandson. And God's delight in Jesus is a gazillion billion times more than this. So what we have here is a clear declaration that the creation is tied to the deity of God, the Father and all members of the Trinity. Yes, we tend to ignore the Holy Spirit, but as we go through 1 Samuel, how many times have we seen the Spirit act already? And how many times will we see the Spirit act? We also see the Spirit present in the New Testament. How all this works is something that I can't really explain. I don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that the three members of the Trinity work together and that they establish their deity through creation. Before we get to identity, let's summarize where we're at. Creation is foundational. By that, without creation, without God, creation does not happen. God inspires and speaks the creation into existence. An aspect of the creation is the creation of man. Man is special because man is made in the image of God. No, nothing else in the entire universe is made in the image of God. Next, we see that God establishes the deity of Christ at the beginning of John. And he uses the same words, in the beginning. Then we see the process of creation in Proverbs. And along the way, he says he is his delight. And should we miss the point, God the Father directly establishes the deity of the incarnate Christ by saying, this is my beloved Son, who I am well pleased. It's really clear, folks. It's really clear. So identity. I've got two more slides here for identity. And we're going to go through that, this list pretty fast. But God describes himself throughout the word. There's no mistaking his identity. And identity points back to his attributes or properties. Or maybe we'll just call them the really neat things about God. God is immense, fills the universe with his presence, and therefore, to compile the names of God doesn't really do it justice because there aren't enough names of God to describe God. So this is just a partial 
It's not an exhaustive list because you can't create an exhaustive list about God. We have Jehovah or Yahweh, His Majesty. We have Jehovah Tiskanu, our righteousness. We have Jehovah Magdesh, He sanctifies. Jehovah Shalom, He is peace. Jehovah Shama, He is there. Jehovah Rafi, He heals. Isn't that wonderful? Jehovah Jireh, He provides. Jehovah Nisi, my banner. Jehovah Roy, my shepherd. And you know, we're going to be talking about shepherds later on in, in uh, 1 Samuel. Actually, a shepherd warrior. Just kind of plugging, plugging a few things there. El Shaddai, the Almighty. El Elron, the Most High God. El Olam, God of Eternity. El Bereth, the God of the Covenant. El Roy, the God who sees. El Hosein, the God who creates. God expressly identifies with creation. And the names of God identify God. But then you say, well, okay, that's nice. But when did God actually identify himself with creation expressly. <laughs> we got to go to the book of Job. Because God talks about creation in the book of Job. And he talks about himself at the same time. Now, Job is described in verse 1 as blameless and upright. And he feared God and shunned evil. And one day, Satan and God have a conversation. God points to Job and says, there is no one on the earth like him. He is blameless and upright and a man who fears God and shuns evil. <laughs> Satan goes, <laughs> yeah, of course. Because you don't let anything bad happen to him. You take care of him. And furthermore, he challenges God and now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to his, your face. So God says, okay. He permits Satan to test Job, but he limits Satan that he cannot touch Job personally. So everything else in Job's life is destroyed, family and fortune. I want to point out that Job goes into great despair as everything around him is ripped away. But he never curses God. And that is a cognitive decision on Job's part. When things go wrong, we also have a cognitive decision on whether we look to God or we turn away. So the book progresses and Job has three counselors or friends or busybodies, depending on how you look. That's Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And this goes on for a long time. 37 chapters to be, to be specific. However, eventually God steps forward towards the end of the book in chapter 38. 
And listen how God opens up the discourse. And I'd be quaking in my boots. Because it says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. You know, God in a storm? Humdinger there. Sky's probably purple and green. And he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? In other words, where do you get your authority? I know where I get mine, but where do you get yours? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you will answer me. Whoops. He's going to instruct the God creator of the universe, if you can. God is not amused with Job's so-called friends, or with Job at this point in time. And he says, where were you when I laid out the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. God knows where he was. Job wasn't around, so he can't really answer the question. But because we have an infinite, eternal God who laid the foundation, he knows exactly where he was and how he did it. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it. It's not a throwaway line. God asks about the measurements, and this leads to us, to us how the universe is designed. And what were its footings? And who laid its cornerstone? He asks, do you even know that there is a foundation to the universe? And while the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted joy, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? Remember I told you we'd talk about boundaries of Again, God established the boundaries of the sea. And he said, you can go this far and no further. There's a demarcation in God's design between land and sea. And then, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed the limits and set the doors and bars in place, and who said, you, again, this you may come, and no farther. And here is where your proud waves halt. Wow. Many ask this question. Have you ever given orders to the morning? Uh -uh. There's no way you can give orders to the morning. But God does that. Or showing the dawn its place, he establishes a specific order that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it. The earth takes shape like clay under a seal, and its features stand out like those of a garden garment. The earth, and by extension the universe, is a product of God's craftsmanship. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? God challenges us to answer whether we even know how this works, much less its origin. Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of deepest darkness? There's no place God cannot go. He is not limited by any aspect of the creation. But we are. We don't even know how to describe some of this. But he speaks with familiarity. Have you comprehended the vast expanses 
of the earth. Tell me, tell me, he says, if you know. And what is the abode of life? And where does the darkness reside? Night and day. Something we take for granted. We can get into detailed descriptions about orbital mechanics to describe orbits and how the earth rotates through space, but God designed it. We only describe it. Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwelling? Surely you know, for you've already born. You have lived so many years. God mocks their limited ignorance. Boy, you really have messed up if you're being mocked by God. Now, think about this. Have you entered the storehouses of snow? Now, in Minnesota, yeah, we saw a lot of snow, so it might all be up there. Or seeing the storehouses of hail, where I reserve for times of trouble, for the days of war and battle, the vastness of his creation. Where is the place where the lightning is dispersed? Or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Again, we can describe the physical, but God came up with the idea. Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm? To water the land where no one lives. Water. We have this great, vast ocean out there that we take for granted, but it's vital for life. It is essential. God created that too. And then, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? What if the stars or the orbits or how celestial mechanics work? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Didn't even think it could. Never, never was an idea in my mind. Can you bring forth constellations in their seasons or lead the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's domain over the earth? The killer question for which we have no answer. God takes his identity seriously and his identity is wrapped up in creation. So what have we learned today? In mathematics, which is a whole other discussion in and of itself, because math can be used to describe so many things of the universe. But again, where did math come from? We have the concept of an axiom. By definition, an axiom is regarded as self-evidently true without proof. For example, 1 plus 3 equals 3 plus 1. God is self-evident, and everything, everything derives from him. He is self-evidently true. There is no need of a proof for God. God is the axiom of creation. Without God, creation doesn't happen. Because God lives outside the scope of creation. Everything flows from creation. And today we talked about the foundational aspects. Without, again, without creation, we couldn't know God because he is the genesis of all we know and much more. He has interwoven 
an aspect of his deity into creation. In other words, he uses the creation to describe his deity, but he stands outside, beyond creation itself. He is from everlasting. And remember, the book starts with the words, in the beginning, and he was there before the beginning. Universe is finite and limited. And God identifies and describes himself to us through creation. Look at the names of God. Look at the story of Job. And finally, and most importantly, he did this because he loves you. The devil doesn't want you to believe any of this. He wants you to make, to doubt creation and Genesis and the need for a redeemer. And that's what this battle is about. That is why you must be firmly ensconced in the rock-solid understanding of why creation is fundamental, a fundamental concept and belief. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. For everyone who's here, we pray that they understood the ramblings, my ramblings, as I tried to communicate who you are and why you are so magnificent and awesome. I pray that if somebody here doesn't know you, that they would think seriously about what an awesome and wonderful God you are. In your name, Lord, we pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.